theyeshiva.net. So let's recall this Nakuda. Uh, to understand the, the facts, so to speak. In the order of the spheres, the characteristics, Kevayachal of the Rebbeinu Shalaylam, you have what's called Atik, you have what's called Arich, they both are known as Keser, and then as we said, under that you have Chachma, Bina, Das, Chesed, Gvur, Teferis, Netzachod, Malchus. Each one has all ten. So you'll have Chesed of Chesed, you'll have Gvur in Chesed, you have Teferis in Chesed. In other words, this is called Hiskalalus, integration. You'll have the aspect of Malchus and Chesed, you'll have the aspect of Yisoid and Chesed. The reason calls them partsufim, huh? Sphere, yeah, yeah. That's why in Sphere, seven weeks, seven middas become 49. Because seven times seven. In other words, I could focus on chesed, but really, I have to focus on seven aspects of chesed. The chesed of chesed, and the gvura of chesed, and the teferit of chesed, and the netzach of chesed. A person could be, for example, kind, very kind, but they don't have the aspect of netzach in chesed. Netzach in chesed means the ability, just an example. Netzach comes from the word victory, like nitzchuni, nitzachin. They don't have the ability to fight for their love. Sometimes there's love, they won't fight for their love. Somebody called me yesterday, a mother, very, very fine person. I mean, I didn't know, we were just talking. And... Um, her children had terrible experiences growing up in different schools. Like really bad stuff that happened to them. And I asked her, did you ever fight? Did you ever fight for them? <laughs> did you ever make a ruckus fight? <laughs> she said, no, she never thought. Uh, she never thought. You know, she always felt you have to respect uh, the reality and all the authorities and they know best and so forth. She was discussing how her children evolved. So that's why I was, you know, they... They went through a lot of stuff. So I asked her this question. So a person can have chesed, can be a lot of love in you, and, and, and you're very soft and you're very kind. But chesed also needs a netzach. Netzach is the ability to, to, to fight for your love. Sometimes you have to fight. Obviously, not only netzach, you need hoid, and you need yisoid, and you need teferis, and you need gvura. It's, that's the balance. But the point is that a person... Chesed itself, or Gvura itself, same as with Gvura. Gvura is, is discipline or, or restraint, structure. Gvura is dinim, right? Gvura is, is the opposite of Chesed. Gvura is quid per quo, justice, and so forth. There's, there's, gvura needs Chesed. There's Chesed of Gvura. Does your Gvura have Chesed in it? Does your Gvura have Tiferes in it? Tiferes is compassion. Does your Gvura have compassion? Does your gvura have gvura? <laughs> you know, do you know how to be disciplined in your discipline, etc. So that's why these are called, I used to call them partsufim. Partsuf is a structure. It's not just a mida, it's a full structure. It's a difference of toyo and tikkun. In the world of toyo, we learned many times, it's just midas. Each one is, is, is extreme. It's so extreme, it's amazing, but it's, it can't survive. Because Netzach, without Hoyd, you become a bulldozer. 
Hayd is, is humility, Hayda'a, submission, and so forth. So each one becomes extremely important and, and functional and wholesome when it's integrative. What did you say was bulldozer? I'm saying you could be a bulldozer. Netzach, Netzach, which is to fight, to be victorious. Right, victory at all costs. Uh, you know, I'm a tractor, I go, I'm a bulldozer. You know, the train is coming. Either you're with me or you're against me. If you're on the tracks, you know what happens? Unless you get onto the train. But but Netzach itself is a very important feature, especially when there's adversity. If there's no adversity, you don't need Netzach. But if there's adversity, you need a fight. And adversity could be inside. I'm not necessarily talking about adversity outside. you got to be able to win. And that's a capacity in a person. It's a fuse in the human soul. So this is true about all of them. And they're called partsufim. Partsufim means a whole structure, a whole face, a whole organism. The organism of the human body is not one. It's integrated. That's the uniqueness of the organism. The uniqueness of the guf is the integration, the interconnectedness. What makes life miraculous and functional and extraordinary is integration. All the circuits are connected. Right, the hundred billion neurons are, are connected. There's a hundred trillion connections, and that's just in the brain. But the nervous system connects everything. Everything becomes connected to this through the central nervous system. Spiritually, that begins in the spheres. So when we speak, Chesed is the right arm, and Gvur is the left arm, and Teferis is the torso, and Netzach is the right thigh, and Hoy the left thigh, and Yisoy the bris, and Malchus is the mouth or your spouse. And Chachma uh, Bina Das are three regions of the brain. Chachma right brain, Bina left brain. Das is uh, center brain, lower center back brain, and uh, like the segel, the, the, the segel and the nakudas. And you'll have Kesser, which is Galgalta, which is the skull, and everything contained in the, contained the skull and the space between the skull and the brain. But it's all one organism. And a functional human being... The smallest, the smallest, the tiniest uh, t- pinky or toe is connected all the way to the top, because there's there's a, a, a unifying system, and all of the there's approximately forty trillion cells in the human body, and each cell is interconnected to every other cell. That's the miracle of partsufim, of hiskalalos, of achdos, of inter interconnectedness, interdependence, as they call it a relationship that comes from integration. And that's why each one includes all of them. So when you speak about Atik, it has all ten. When you speak about Arich, that's again, in Kesser itself, a higher dimension or a lower dimension, pleasure and will, Tainug and Ratzin, it has all ten. When you speak about Chachma, it has all ten. So therefore, if I speak about Arich, right, there is the Chachma of Arich, there is the Chesed of Arich, there is the Gvura of Arich. There is the Teferis of Arich. When I speak about Chachma, there's the Keser of Chachma. There is the Chachma of Chachma, of course. There is the Chesed in Chachma, the Gvura. And it's very, very fascinating because each one is literally a feature of the soul. So when you map out the soul, you're not supposed to miss a fuse. Each one is a circuit of the soul. It's extremely subtle. It's extremely nuanced. But good morning, the body is not nuanced. <laughs> The body is not nuanced. You know what's happening in, in one cell, the DNA in one cell. I once read by a scientist, he wrote, you know, there's 40 trillion cells. Each cell has a double copy, a 
approximately. Yeah, you counted them. Uh, 41 and 41 trillion. Yeah. Now, when, I'm not talking million. Million would also be a nice number. I don't know if you ever counted 40 million. Anybody ever? Even counting 40 can get you tired, yeah? 4,000 can get you exhausted, yeah? At the time you come to 40,000, you're done. You're done. It's a career. Okay, now talk about 40 trillion cells in the body. And we're talking about a little body. We're not talking about <laughs> 40 trillion, not million. And each cell, its sophistication is mind-staggering. You know, a cell is not a, a stickle particle, a little dust. It has a double copy of what we call the genome, the DNA code, which is basically a manual for how the body should be built and how the body should function. So I once read that it's so tiny, and it, it, it's, it's like a computer program, meaning it's organized and what they call letters, it's not letters, but they call it letters, four letters, approximately four letters. Today some are saying there's more, but I think it's four letters generally, and it's an organization. And it's shaped like, uh, what is it called? The, the helix, yeah. A double helix. And uh, so I thought if you would, if you would, uh, if you would, so to speak, unravel, unravel like a scroll, if it would be a scroll, you would unravel the DNA code of a cell, it would reach the height from the ground, the height of the Empire State Building three times. That's how much information. <laughs> if it was written in a book, in a scroll, right, and you would spread it out to be able to read it, it would, that's how much information is there. Talk about nuance. Okay. Huh? A Megillah, yeah. About Bissalein give you the Megillah. Yeah, Mamash like a Megillah. But it's it's all from the Hamelach, yeah. But it's so compact; it's compact beyond what our eyes can can obviously perceive. And this is all a gilu. This is all a revelation of our generation. The DNA that they discovered in the 1950s. So the nuance in the physical body is only a reflection of the nuance in the spiritual realm. And it's kol shekim v'kal because ruchni is even more nuanced because it doesn't even occupy any space. <laughs> Any space at all. So that's why when we speak about nuance in Sifri Kabbalah, Sifri Machshava, Sifri Chsidis, it's essential. So each one encompasses all of them. The same is true with Bin, and the same is true with Chesed, and the same is true with Gvur, and the same is true with Tiferes. And there's already a relationship between the hierarchy. So the highest three of Atik are completely beyond. But the lower seven of Atik are manifested in Arach. So Mela, the Chesed of Atik, it's called Zion Tachtoinus. The lower seven are manifested in the, in the next one. So Mela, when you speak, that's why he said in the beginning of this Maim of the Balatanya, that Chesed of Atik, which is the beginning of the Midas of Atik, Atik is again the highest space in the soul, the Chesed of Atik is manifested in the highest space of Arach, which is always Galgalta, the skull, which is the Chesed of Arach. Gvura of Atik, will be manifested in the next level of Arach, which is the Chachma of Arach. What's the Chachma of Arach? We call it Moichastima, the unconscious wisdom, because we're still talking about Keser. So the unconscious brain, <laughs> meaning cognition, it's not Galgalta Darach. Galgalta Darach is the Keser of Arach, that's will, which is super, super conscious will, but it's beyond reason. Arach is the secret brain of Arach. It's reason, but the reason is still not conscious. 
So we operate on many different levels. We operate on a level of pleasure. We operate on a level of will. We operate on a level of reason that we're not aware of. Reasoning that we're not aware of. Then there is what we call chachma, which is already conscious wisdom that I know, and bina, and chesed, and gvura, that's already more conscious. But keser is above the head. It could be connected to it, yeah. It could be one manifestation of it, right? So, so the chesed of Atik is coming out in the, in the keser of arech, what's called the skull of arech. The gvura of Atik is manifested in, in the brain, in the chachma of arech. And so it goes downward, right? The teferis of Atik will be manifested in the next level of Arach, and so forth. So every single sphera begins with the skull, the keser. It continues to Chachma and Bina and Das and Chesed and Gvur. So Atik has all ten. Arach has all ten. It starts with the skull. Arach is the skull, it's keser. It, uh, it's not Atik. Atik is the Gulgoilus, and then Arich is the Chitzonius of, of, of Keser, which is called Ratzin. So all of them begin with all the, te- I have all the ten, and the seven lower ones of Atik are manifested in Arich, beginning with the highest level. So again, Chesed of Atik is manifested in, <coughs> in the Gulgoilus, in the skull of Arich, which is its highest level, and Gvura of Atik is manifested in the Chachma, which is in Keser, which is in Arich, which is called Chachma Stima. In the features of the organism, we learned that the, the, the skull, the gulgoilus, and the hair on top of that gulgoilus, sa'aresha, reflects the energy that comes from that space of gulgoilus. And that energy is a very, very heavy energy. Even though it comes out through a hair, which doesn't have nerves, doesn't have blood vessels, because it's extremely restricted. It's a very minute life force because it can't come out in any other way due to its momentous and stupendous intensity. And that's what Cyrus always represents. Here represents a flow, a communication, but in a way that is extremely filtered and restricted more than any other restriction to the point that when I cut it, I don't feel any pain because the connection is very, very... It's there, it's present, it grows from the body... Every hair has its follicle, which it grows from. If you pull the hair, it's going to hurt because of the blood vessels in the root where the hair comes from. But then the hair itself is an outgrowth of it, is an expression of it. Sometimes you'll say growing your hair long is not uh, the, the holiest manifestation. Yeah. In a married woman, Allah should be covered. A nazir has to have his hair grow long. Another, because there's a lot of energy in here. You know, when, when the Chavra grow their hair long, there's a reason for it. There's a certain, it's not just a look in the mirror, right? It's not just the hippie look. You know, I'm so uninhibited and uh, all is love and life is, life is cool. But, 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 but it's representative of something. Because the world of Kesser, some, some people here from the 60s know what I'm talking about. Uh, <laughs> Uh, and sometimes, you know, teenagers or young people go through that phase. You know, the hair has to be as a, uh, from here to China. The Rachvos, yeah. What it's really representative, and a child till three years, the Minig Yisrael is, we don't do an Upshanish till three years old. Right? So what's that all about? You really need people to not know if he's a boy or he's a girl. Now, it used to not be a big deal. Today, it's, uh, 
you run into all these types of ridiculous issues. So, but but the truth is that there is very there's a lot of depth there, because uh, because the world of Kesser generally is a completely superconscious world. It's not a world of inhibition. Chachma is where the filters really begin. That's where the conscious identity begins. Till you're three years old, that's the point. You're operating on that level. Children, till three, absorb everything on a level of Kesser. That's why it's the most important years of education. It's a wet sponge that absorbs everything in a super conscious way. So today, when you're older, you could discriminate. This I like, this I don't like. What you're saying makes sense, what you're saying doesn't make sense. This is nurturing, this is abusive, this is dangerous, this is not dangerous. But if during those three years, when I absorbed everything, if I was not protected, if I was not nurtured, children, both in the positive and in the negative, can absorb everything, but not in a conscious way. Not in a conscious way. So there is an outgrowth of that gulgoilus, of that level of keser, the superconscious level of pleasure and will, so you have a baby in the crib, it doesn't look like he or she is processing anything because they're processing everything. They just don't have to process it in words and verbal articulation and so forth. Beginning from three, right? The Gemara says, That's the first thing. And the concept of this passage, is Moirasha means a Yerusha, an inheritance. And the definition of an inheritance is that you're Yerush Hakal, you Yarshin everything. A Yerush doesn't Yarshin the parts that he knows how to manage. A Yerush, an ear, halachically Yarshins everything. That means if a father is worth $60 billion and God forbid passes away and he has a child who's one day old, halachically that child is now worth Sixty billion dollars. He actions everything. He needs an apotropos. He needs somebody to manage it because he's one day old, obviously. But it's not like when he's thirty, he owns it, and when he's one day old, he doesn't own it. That's not true. He may not be aware that he's a multi-billionaire. He may not be self-conscious. He may not become a sugar at that point in life. Mm-hmm. But uh, but uh, but he's Yiddish hakel. So when you say Torah is a Yerusha, what does it mean? It means you can have a 70-year-old Jew who learned Torah his whole life, and you can have a one-day-old Jew, either in years or in, or in, or in spirituality, but he, he, he has the same Torah. It's a Yerusha. That 70-year-old that didn't learn anything has also the same Yerusha. That's, 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 I'm talking about a one-day-old child. When you speak about a child, it could be a child in years, and it could be a child in, in development. Yeah. I'm talking about Yerusha before Chalukah, before we take it away from him. <laughs> yeah, that's my point. So when the first thing you teach this child when he could speak is Torah, the whole Torah is yours. The whole Torah is yours. Just because somebody learned and knows much more, it doesn't mean he owns Torah more than you. It means he has the privilege of having access to it because he spent a lot of time. So it's a privilege, but it's not an ownership. Just like the Apotropos may manage it, but he doesn't own it. He can't take it away from me. I'm the Irish. They say there was once a fellow who wanted to learn Yiddishkeit. He was a secular Jew, so he came to a rabbi. And he said, teach me Judaism. I don't know anything. So the rabbi says, of course, with pleasure. 
He says, how much do you charge for a lesson? He says, charge? Moses never charges me. God doesn't charge me for reading the Bible. Why should I charge you? He says, wow, you're an amazing rabbi. So when can we learn? He says, come to Monday night, 8 o'clock, we'll learn. So he comes to his uh, office to study 8 o'clock p.m. The rabbi takes out two chumashim, gives him a chumash, gives himself a chumash, and tells the fellow, start reading, let's learn. He says, reading? I can't read. That's why I came to you. I can't read. I can't read anything. He says, ah, Hebrew lessons is $200 an hour. So, uh, it, but it's, it, it's an attitude thing. It's an attitude. Yeah. I once... Uh, <laughs> I once read an, uh, an article. There was a Yid in Israel. He was a journalist. His name was Adam Baruch. He grew up in a yeshiva world. And then he left somewhat Yiddishkeit. But he used to write, I think, for Marivu, Yediyat Echernot. He was their religious, their, their, their columnist for religious issues, right? Linyanei Dat. He was the expert because he grew up religious. He knew the yeshiva world very well. He knew Ashtikl Gemara also, he could quote. So he's the expert when it came to all issues of what we call Haredi Jews, religious Jews. He was the writer. He passed away a few years ago. So after his death, Adam Baruch was his name. He was a sharp writer. So I was reading some uh, articles about him because I used to read his columns. I read some of his columns. So I saw somebody said something. Somebody wrote something. And it was extremely, it was sad, but very telling. He was in a particular yeshiva. And uh, it was Simchas Torah. And he was a young boy, and he was dancing with passion and gusto. He got into it. And he was holding a sefer, he got a sefer Torah, and he was holding it in the yeshiva and going around and around. And Mamash dancing with tremendous Simcha. The Rosh Yeshiva, who was of a particular flavor, uh, calls him over. And says, for the amount of Torah that you learned this year, <laughs> for the amount of Torah that you learned this year, you danced enough. Give it up. <laughs> and this, Mamish, uh, it broke him. He gave this every day, he left. He left. He gave it up, yeah. He gave it up. Then Neblevitsa Kabadichevit says was Simchas Teira dancing, and he saw it's called a Pashat Schneider, a simple tailor who was a very ignorant Jew. He was illiterate; he couldn't even read. He could barely read Aleph Beis. Never mind learn Chumash Garnish, and he was also dancing. So Neblevitsa Kabadichev, who was the great Oy of Yisrael, calls him over and says, "Why are you dancing with a Teira? What's exciting you? I mean, between you and me, you didn't spend any time during the year." So he says, "Rebbe, unas my brother." Says, my brother is making a simcha. I don't dance because it's not my wedding. It's not my child. My brother is making a simcha. I'm excited. He says, I'm dancing for you. <laughs> so this is a said, ah, that's what he wanted to hear. So the Lubavitcher Rebbe once told over the story of Simcha's Torah and said, it's Emma's, but the truth is, it's much more than that. He's not only dancing for his brother's simcha, that's also true. He's dancing also his own simcha because the whole Torah is his. It may not be at the moment articulated or in a conscious way, you may not be spending time with it, like the child who has everything, but it hasn't yet, the DNA hasn't been unraveled. It hasn't been, the Megillah has not been opened up. But it doesn't diminish the relationship, the essential relationship. Obviously, if I'm not aware of it, the relationship is on a different level, but it doesn't diminish the truth and the quality of the relationship. 
And that's the idea of Tinnak right? In the womb of your mother, you learn the whole Torah. So the question is, what's the point if you forget it anyway? The answer is because it's, it's, that's, that's, it's yours. And ultimately, Torah will resonate because you already heard it in the womb. But that remains yours. Like I spoke once, Shema Beni Musa Ravichov, Al Titish Torah Simecha, the Chidush Shurim says is that Torah. So that's the first thing we tell a child when he starts speaking. Before he starts speaking, though, he learns a lot more. <laughs> but how does he learn it? Look at his hair. Look at his hair. At an older age, right, there's a difference between a male and a female, generally, in, 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 in Minig and in culture. And even in, in, we're talking about, I'm talking about here Jewish culture, Torah, Halacha. We don't keep the hair of the boy long forever. Because after three starts the process of tzimtzum, of channeling keser through moichin, through awareness, through consciousness. I can't always remain a two-year-old boy. It's nice. There's something beautiful about it. You know, you sit on the floor and you play Lego and you suck the pacifier or the bottle and you scream and people jump. I try doing it, but uh, somehow they don't jump. And, uh, and uh, now you have, what? <laughs> you have to start taking responsibility more and things become conscious. But you can't ignore the first three years. In many ways, those are the most important years, Right? So, you know, people think when my kid becomes 14 years old, I'll start spending time with him. No, 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 no. When he's two, that's when you spend time with them. In a way, it's more important. Because everything that happens when he's 14 or 20 is all being defined in a very deep and unconscious way. In the womb and after birth and in the first few years, those are the impressionable, formative years when things get absorbed on the deepest levels. And we all know from our own lives that... In many ways, not in all ways, because we do have choices, but in many ways, our lives today are just, we're playing out, you know, from day one and day two and year one and year two and year three. And if, you, if you'll trace it back, you'll see that so many of our impressions and, and attitudes and relationships, yeah, the stories, the stories we tell ourselves. When did we hear these stories? We didn't hear these stories. We were 25 years old. We heard these stories on a Kesser level. We heard these stories on a superconscious level. Or maybe later, Baruch Hashem, stories at the age of seven, at the age of nine, at the age of 11, and so forth. I was at a yeshiva this past Shabbos in Chicago, where I have a son learning there. And uh, I was watching the principal in action. And I saw tremendous, tremendous uh, sensitivity to the children. Something that I, I rarely see. Uh, mm-hmm. Tremendous sensitivity and kindness and understanding and very tailor-made to each child. So this principal told me, he says, that when he was a boy in yeshiva, he was in fifth grade. And he was washing for lunch. He was by the sink. And there was a staff member in the school... I think the best way to put it is he did not have a PhD in pedagogy. And uh, on the top of his lungs, this fellow screams out, this principal's name is Halberstam. So Halberstam, it's a play on words. So he gives a scream, he says, Halberstam, du bist a halberschmatter oder a ganze schmatter? Are you a half a schmatter? Stam. Are you a half a schmatter or a whole schmatter? This was the humor with which he was trying to entertain himself and the boy and I guess the whole school. And everybody heard it. So he tells me, he says, I made an oath 
to myself. He was in fifth grade. I made an oath that never will I do this to anybody, and on the contrary. And today I have the opportunity to fulfill that oath. And it was extremely inspiring because very often what happens is people hear these messages and they internalize them. And it actually becomes part of their life. A much more powerful response is, you know what it feels like, so you become empowered by it. To be able to know how to use that to become actually a more conscientious, sensitive, compassionate leader. So instead of turning your wound into a wound that becomes integrated in your system, you turn it into a force of strength and you become proactive. That's the difference. The Torah doesn't allow us to tattoo. To tattoo. What's the difference between a tattoo and a scratch? (laughs) A tattoo gets tattooed and it stays. A scratch hurts and it's annoying and it's itchy, but it goes away after a week, a few weeks, a month, whatever it is. We all experience scratches in life, sometimes big and deep scratches, but some of us tattoo them. They take it and they tattoo it into us, into themselves. And you walk around forever with this tattoo. And it's not my fault. You scratched me up. I tattooed it. And then others just treat it as a scratch. And a scratch, you don't have to tattoo. It's a scratch. On the contrary, it could make you more aware. It can assist you rather than hinder you. So that's why the first three years, the hair grows. We allow the hair to grow that way because the cyrus of the head represents what? A certain gili, a certain manifestation of which level of consciousness? The level of keser, the crown, the gilgoylus, the skull, which is really the superconscious, superconscious pleasure, superconscious will. Then starts the process of chachma and bina and chesed and gvura, where we function on an everyday level, but not ignoring that dimension of keser. The nazir, because his life is so holy, kadoshiyah, his life is one of Kedusha. So therefore for him, yeah, that hair can grow long. And that hair has Kedusha. That hair is actually a tremendous level of holiness because he is in that state of tremendous Kedusha. He's elevated. And that's why the Gilui of that energy is actually very productive. It's very holy. On other levels, yeah, and on another stage, Usually a person grows that hair and it often comes with a certain lack of responsibility or a certain lack of inhibition. It's like, sometimes it's, it's, it's cool, but it comes with anarchy and frivolousness. It's, it's with, without the filter of what makes a productive life, schedule and structure and discipline, which is symptom, which is symptom. It's called getting a job, yeah, et cetera, et cetera. What? Yeah. Yeah, get a job, right? Yeah. Yeah, so to speak, yeah. yeah. You know, free love. What's free love is beautiful, but it's just, it's not sustainable, you know. <laughs> it's not, uh, you're living on a plane without structure. It, it's, it's not, uh, it sounds good for a few weeks, for a few months, but you can't build civilization that way. Children need homes. They need consist- consistency. They need structure. They need a father. They need a mother. <laughs> It's not, you know, free love, when, when there's no strings attached, it's very, very nice. But a lot of these things, they're not sustainable. They're not real. They're not authentic. It's, it's, it's like, you know, people who, who are always high. 
You know, the person gets high the first few times, they're high, but w- what's left? What's left? It doesn't translate into the real world. It doesn't, it doesn't translate. If all of your inspiration comes from, from external substances, it's essentially false. It means that stimulation is external. And that's why you always have to be careful with these things. When people develop philosophies around weed and alcohol and, and external stimulations, and then they start associating it with spirituality and God and Judaism and Torah and Kabbalah and, and Reb Nachman and then all other things, you have to be very, very careful here. Because what happens is, to say it bluntly, it's dysfunction that manipulates spirituality to serve its own purposes of dysfunction. And one has to be very cautious because Yiddishkeit is never to be associated with with a lack of, 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 of truth, of authenticity, of responsibility. And when one's only source of inspiration is stimulation that comes from the outside, it's a short-lived high that is not real. And when you sober up, you're going to be left in the garbage, in the filth. Because what happens is, all your inspiration is coming from outside. And whenever inspiration comes from outside, not from inside, it's not true. And it's not going to last. And that's why so many people, they become flaky. They live outside of this planet. And when you actually say, but but what about life? There's a certain abandonment of life. And the way you see it immediately is how it affects family. Because you can't lie to children, you can't deceive children. Either you're present or you're not present. So the thing is, I just have so many issues and I don't know how to deal with these issues. So therefore at night when I come home, I have to smoke up, as somebody told me. So go confront your demons, confront your skeletons and become a person. This is not called becoming a person, it's called escaping so you want to escape, so acknowledge it as a weakness. Don't turn it into a spiritual philosophy and start bringing me sources from this Sefer and that Sefer that this is the way to live and this is what God wants. It has nothing to do with Torah, nothing to do with God. It has to do with dysfunction, it has to do with pain, it has to do with trauma, it has to do with addiction, and it has to do with tremendous fear, which I'm not judging. I'm not judging. A person is going through something, but the worst thing you, the worst thing you can do to yourself when you're going through pain is ignore it by using substitutes that just numb it and don't allow you to deal with it. And you really mummish in the same, same uh, dustbin psychologically. You understand what I'm saying? It's very important, this. People sometimes come to davening, certain minyanim. They're high. They take drugs before davening. And then the davening is so beautiful. It's ridiculous. It's, 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 it's a pashtarachmanas. Because they really don't know that God is actually a real thing they can have a relationship with. They so don't believe in themselves. They're so wounded. They're so traumatized. Their only relationship with God has to be completely fake. Completely based on outer substances. And the moment those substances are gone, there's nothing left. It's a chalom shechalmu achedem al That's not a way of building a relationship. Imagine somebody who decides to get married to a girl when, she, when he's high. <laughs> What type of marriage is that going to be? What type of marriage is going to be? I'm stoned, forgive me, so I propose to you. I, pro- I don't mean to you. <laughs> well, maybe when somebody is smashed, yeah, that's what they do. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine, yeah? 
And it's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. And there's never fighting because we're one. We're one. What type of what type of marriage is that going to be? And even if both of them are going to be smashed, the moment there's a child born, what's that child's life going to be like? Unless they smash him too. So how, what age is he going to be smashed? At two? Well, he's, you're going to put it in the milk that he nurses? <laughs> yeah, you know, I understand. Yeah. With Hashem, it's not different. The Gemara says in Sanhedrin, Meirasha means a Yerusha. Meirasha means Meurasa. Torah Tziva Lano Meirasha, Meurasa. There's no Nekudas in a Sefer Torah. So Meirasha, you could read Meirasha. But when you're reading the Vezezbach, you could also say Meurasa. What's Meurasa? Betrothed. Married. The Torah is married to every Jew. It's a Yerusha and it's marriage. And what's the difference between Yerusha and marriage? Two different things. Yerusha, one day old, I can be a Yerush. Married, I can't be one day old married. Married is a choice. It's a relationship. Both are true about Torah. Torah is my Russia and Torah is Meurasa. What type of marriage can there be to Torah if I proposed when I was stoned and smashed? So he's putting on tefillin. He comes to shul. There's no person there. So he's flying high. It looks spiritual. It's nothing. So Mela, for the other people, it's entertainment. But for that person, he goes home to an empty vessel filled with numbness and melancholy and despondency and depression. Because it's not grounded in realness. It's not grounded in truth. It's, it's, a, it's a flit, a flit is flying. But you're not a bird. If you were a bird, fine. You're a person. That's what Yiddishkeit is. The ladder stands on the ground, but its top reaches heaven. And on the contrary, when you stand on the ground, you can reach real heaven. That's the place. Yeah. It's balanced and it's the purpose. It's the purpose of life. It's God's purpose. It's real. It's truth. The argument is that a person with all the challenges in life, it's hard for them to I got it. I know. <laughs> that takes them out of the shell. So they... I know, I know. I'm not judging it. This is not judgment. I'm not judging people. People have a lot of pain. I know the argument. I don't know the feeling. Good, so you stay here. I don't understand the argument. I don't understand the argument because to me it's not, it's, it is not real. But Sometimes when a person is so much in pain, right, the boat breaks. The boat, the boat, the, the, they drown and they're in the, in the ocean. They'll catch on any straw. If there's a straw, you catch on to it. Perhaps they don't see an alternative. Perhaps the alternative is too scary. Perhaps the alternative is too tedious, is too complex. It, it demands too much, huh? That's true. That's true. So I'm saying, imagine somebody proposes that way. What type of, what, what is nothing? I once asked a fellow, he used to drink a lot. I said to him, how do you deal with hangovers? How do you deal? Don't you wake up in the morning washes? He says, I never have a chance to have a hangover. I continue drinking. Good. So if you never wake up, you know, you can go into a coma, comatose state, and operate on that level. People do that. But that's a lifeless soul. But it's really all coming because a person doesn't believe that there could be a real relationship. You don't believe in healing. 
You don't believe in recovery. You don't believe that you have a chelik elekami mal that's undamaged. You don't believe it. You think you're really, really damaged. Deep down. And therefore, I must respond and live like a damaged person. So I always have to escape. I could never sit with myself. I once heard from Dr. Tversky, the psychiatrist, you know, from Pittsburgh, Rapshia Tversky, Dr. Abraham Tversky. I heard this from him himself. He said it publicly, that he was once, uh, his doctor or his physician, somebody told him that he has to take baths, you know, go to uh, spas and take baths, one of these healing places. Saratoga, whatever it was. So uh, he, uh, and he can't take anything to read. Can't take a book, can't take a newspaper. So he went into the bath. So the first three, three minutes, it was very nice, you know, warm water and it's, it's relaxing and you stretch your bones and you just let go. But he had to be there for a long time. He said after a few minutes, he was so, he was so bored and he, he wanted to read something, look at something. He can't. And he said after half an hour, he realized that throughout his life, he never, ever spent time with himself. And the first time he was forced to spend time with himself, it was unbearable. Huh? Yeah. And it was very difficult for him. And he had to ask himself, why am I so boring for me? <laughs> why is my presence so boring for me? Like... Why can't I just be here with me? And he said it brought him a lot of discovery. You know, what, why does my mind always have to get distracted with something else or somebody else in order to be able to justify my life? So, so, so the here, the here on the head is very intense. It's, it expresses something very, very deep. Very deep. And that's why a woman, when she's married... And people think that the halachas of tznius and this are just because we want to repress people. It's the opposite. All the halachas of tznius and shulchan aruch are really a blueprint to allow a person, for men and for women, both. Tznius is not just for women. Tznius is for everybody. Tznius is a, a mode of life. It's a lifestyle that allows a person's true energy to be able to be actualized in the most productive and healthy way with proper boundaries. That's what it is. That's what it mamish is. Yeah, yeah. Just going back for a second, I, I thought the Rav said that, that the Balkanian holds like this, take it to make it kind of thing, or, or if, we don't have, if we don't have this feeling of trying to get... We don't have this. These substances could help. I'm saying it's not so far fetched. Fake it till you make it is a completely different concept. Even I mean, I wouldn't use that expression, but it's a completely different concept. What we were saying the other day was that even if I don't feel in the mood of something. Right? Or I may feel the opposite, but I do it anyway because this is my value. It's very, very precious. <laughs> Somebody uh, sent me an article yesterday. <laughs> he says, this is a guy, he's 90 years old. He's on his deathbed. <laughs> he's on his deathbed. 
let's call him Yankel. Chaim Yankel. He's on his deathbed. He's 90 years old. So he's like 95 years old. And he laughs to himself. Why? The whole world thinks he's the kindest person in the world. You know why? Because he behaved kindly for 95 years. His children think he's a malach of chesed. His wife adores his kindness. But he knows that deep down he's really obnoxious and self-centered and hedonistic and narcissistic and self-absorbed. But for 95 years he faked it. He was kind to every person he met. And he passes on. And then there's another person who's 95 years old on his deathbed. And he's a narcissist. In his whole life. But he says, but deep down, I'm a good person. <laughs> no, I ask you. This is where psychoanalysis could become an obstacle. When psychoanalysis becomes a replacement for life, it's not doing its job. Psychoanalysis, I'll give you a guy, guy, guy writes. When did they start x-rays? Pressure to be able to take an x-ray of what's happening inside your brain, MRI, what's happening inside your heart, cardiogram. This is all modern, uh, modern inventions. Yeah. So I want to hang up in my house a picture of my father, Oliver Shalom. So I have a picture. So I hang it up. Somebody says, that's what you hang up? Chitzonius. I should go to the hospital, get the x-rays. Get an x-ray of my father's inner self. Hang it up in the dining room. Yeah. Emma, you like? Yeah, that's what the picture is. What do you have pictures of your children, your father, your mother, your brothers? X-rays. Let's get the MRIs. Let's get the x-rays. We're going to show the out of mouth. Get the dental records. Get from Reuven your dental records. Show what's happening inside. Let's see the kishkas. That's where everything is going on. With the outside, that's garnished. Chitzainius. You're laughing. Why? You can... <laughs> An x-ray is a functionality. The moment the x-ray starts replacing the person, (laughs) you miss the mark. Psychoanalysis is here to help a person. It's an x-ray to understand what's going on, what are my motives, what am I scared of, what am I running away from, what is my pain. And in that sense, it could be very valuable. Just like an x-ray could save your life. (laughs) It could be very, very valuable. But the x-ray is not the mensch. Doctors need to do it and hospitals need to do it. It's not what you hang up in the dining room. Hang up in the dining room. Yes, the outer form and face of a person, that's what you connect to. That's where you see the person that you love and you cherish. You understand what I'm saying? You don't understand what I'm saying. This is very important. All the psychoanalysis, even if it's not psychobabble, even if it's real psychoanalysis, there's psychobabble too. But even if it's real analysis, what is it? Its function is to be able to help you live. Live in the most meaningful way. But life is about behavior. <laughs> life is about behavior. Life is about who you are today, right now, in your relationships with yourself, in relationships to all the people around you, the world around you. So that's not called fake until you make it. That's a beautiful idea. I may not be in the mood of waking up today. So I say, I don't feel like waking up. I'm not waking up. I'm not in the mood of davening today. Anybody? Anybody? 
So I'm not davening anymore. Only when I'm in the mood. So I daven once in six years. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not in the mood. My wife says, good morning, how are you? I'm not in the mood of answering. I'm not in the mood of answering. I don't say good morning. That's not truth. That's falsehood. What is truth is, good morning, how are you? If you have a good relationship with your spouse, later you could say, you know, it was so interesting to me how much resistance I had. And that depends on the relationship. I'm not telling you to do this in the house. Honesty, living in the now, knowing that. No, that's not honesty. Honesty means my sister's making a wedding. I'm exhausted. I want to go to bed. What's honest? To go to the wedding because I love my sister? Or to stay home because I feel that I don't want to go to the wedding? What do you think is more real? The answer is when you're 90 years old and you're going to look back, which action are you going to regret and which action are you going to praise? I come home, my kid wants to spend time with me. I'm not in the mood. So I lock the door and I say, leave me alone, find another father. I'm very honest. People do this all the time. They run away from the Find another father. Because I'm very honest with my feelings. I'm honest. Guy tells me, he got divorced. He has a wife and five kids. I said, what happened? He likes his wife. He says, I discovered a new dimension of self that my wife can't relate to. It was a fine marriage. She's a good lady. I found a new dimension of self that my wife can't relate to. So he left his wife and five kids in the name of deep spiritual honesty. But the Mishnah has a name for that. Shaita, Rasha, Vegas, Ruach. A deeper dimension of self. What's this deeper dimension of self? What's this deeper dimension of self? I'm not judging you. A person has pain, you got to figure it out. But now ask yourself a question. What about the deep dimension of self that wants to raise five children who are babies? That's not a deep dimension of self. You think if this person is aware of who he is, he's not going to regret this in a few years. What's the deep dimension of self that he had to discover? He wants to go biking in New Zealand for five years. Now, I like that. I like going biking in New Zealand for five years. I'm also thinking about it. If I can convince my wife and kids to come biking with me in New Zealand. So go in the summer, take off a week, go by. No, he needs five years biking in New Zealand. That's his deeper self. What about a deeper self that you committed to marry somebody and you brought five beautiful kids into the world? And the truth is, deep down, that's a much deeper value than biking in New Zealand. Everybody wants to go out every night. Yeah, Ayid once came to a rov and said, Rebbe, ich will I get, I need a, I want to get. Very will <laughs> he, he discovered America. He discovered America. Very well nished. So he, a person says, I don't feel like doing it, but I feel I should do it. <laughs> and that's what we would discuss. The fact that I don't feel like doing it, but I feel I should do it, that's much more real. That's your value. You feel you should do it because you know this is right. This is true. This is who you really are. Vaharaya, when you're 90 years old, and I'm going to give you two lists. This is the list of things you felt like doing even though you knew it was not what you really, really are about. And these are the things that you did, and you didn't feel like doing it, but you felt you should do it. And if you chose this list over that list, which one do you think you're going to regret and embrace? That choice you could make now. You don't have to wait till you're 95 years old. You could make that now every single day. That's not called fake. 
that simply acknowledges the fact that not everything that is of value I will always feel. Sometimes I'm tired, I'm stressed, I'm overwhelmed, I'm broken, I'm in pain, I'm traumatized. So what? But the person is not the x-ray. The person, look at the picture of the wall, that's the person. My father is not an x-ray. My father's a mensch. You're also not an x-ray. But we often live by x-rays. We're always taking x-rays. Okay, right now, I don't feel like saying good morning. I don't care. (laughs) Stop taking x-rays. It's good to take an x-ray for self-discovery, for growth, for figuring out who you are, working on yourself, but not to replace the real self. Not to replace the real self. Your spouse told you good morning, you say good morning. No, I took an x-ray. I'm not in the mood now of saying good morning. I have to be honest with myself. We don't live on x-rays. You don't put your kishkas out on the walls. That stays in the doctor's office. I'm not, I'm not saying x-rays are not important. They're very important. They sometimes save lives. But they don't substitute life. In the airport, when I take out my ID, I don't take out my x-ray. Even though it's much more real. And when you go through the, what is it called? The, the, the detector, no? The metal detector, right? And you feel like killing somebody, yeah? Somehow it doesn't show up in the detector. But if you have a knife, it's going to show up in the detector. Why? And the answer is because detectors don't pick up feelings. They pick up knives and guns. Other human beings don't always pick up feelings. They pick up knives and guns. The fact that you're in a horrible mood, okay. So take an x-ray and let's try to figure it out. and Let's try to help you. But don't live life on that level. Everything is based on my moods and my feelings and my internal life. And what that does is it betrays me, not just other people. Because it takes me away from who I am, what my real values are. What my real choices are, who I really am. What my inner true rutzen is, what my inner true tainug is, what I'm aware is the right thing, the moral thing, the right thing. It's not just taking me away from you, it's taking me away from me. It's allowing an emotion that represents one aspect of my personality that happens to be broken right now to define the course of my life. Why should I do that? What's the seichel of it? But the emotion is so powerful. So it's powerful. It's just an emotion that's powerful. That's it. It's an emotion that's powerful. Great. Take an x-ray and let's talk about it. But that doesn't become life if it takes you away from your value, if it takes you away from you. So many things in life has a to do with it, but more hope that has to do with it. It must be about it. Yes, if you're in the doctor's office and the doctor takes an x-ray, now we're talking about x-rays, you're right. When we're dealing with x-rays, the, the x-rays become the reality. You're right, I said my sister's chasana. I said my sister's chasana. Or Isaac Newworth makes a chasana, I go. You're right. If I would go to every chasin I'm invited to, I would be at a chasin every morning, every afternoon, and every evening. I could quit everything else I do, and I could just sit in the chasin hall from today to Bizbiya Sagoyal. And it's a beautiful thing. Mitzvah Simchas Chasin Kala. If it works, some people do it. They just sit. They go from the Sholm Zachar. There's usually a kiddush here upstairs, somebody's yard site today. Huh? You go to a brist, and there's always shoivavim. 
right? There's always something. Man's got to eat. And if you're around this place, and if you're around this place, they feed you. Yeah, and if there's nothing, there's always soup to eat. So, yeah, you're right. But, but, but the decision to go to the wedding or not to go to the wedding cannot be based on my mood. A person has to have boundaries, not because they're selfish, because of their value. If somebody has a wife and children and they leave the, night, they leave the house every single night to go to a, a chasana and a lechayim and a bar mitzvah and a vart and a dis, it ultimately takes them away from what's important and that is you have to spend time with your loved ones. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, so sometimes a person feels social pressure, but that's not a real value. That's an external thing. That's like a mood. Just like I'm not in the mood of going, I am in the mood of going just to impress somebody else. You understand? That's what you're talking about. Then you have to make choices. But I'm talking here about going to your sister's making a wedding. Her child is getting married, and you happen to have to travel to Montreal or wherever it is, and you're exhausted, and you're overwhelmed, and all your body is saying, I don't want to go. You don't want to go, but I feel I should go. I actually don't feel I should go, but I feel I should go. It's an inner feeling. And here, it's a value. It's a value. Do you love your sister? Do you love your family? Do you want to be close to your nephews and nieces? Do you think it's valuable that a family should stay together? If you would make a wedding, would you want your siblings to come to the wedding? Those are real values, to be close to your siblings, to show up for them, to show respect, to show love. This is family. Keeping a family together is a very valuable thing in this world. It's a very valuable thing. And it's not often. So many families are fragmented. That's a value. It's a value you fight for. Who do you fight with? Yourself. I'm tired. I'm going to go anyway. The same is true with a friendship. Somebody is a close friend to you. They have been there for you. You have been there for them. They're making a simcha. I'm not in the mood of going. We're always in the mood. So what? But the friendship is more valuable than the mood. Did I answer your question? I didn't answer it well. I'm just wondering. Because I have to tell my mother-in-law and my therapist. I answered your question. Your unconscious question. And his sister is making a chasana and he's in the mood of going. <laughs> Where's the chasana? You want me? You want me? <laughs> it's in New Zealand. Country game biking. <laughs> you want me to go instead of you? Because <laughs> I'm always in the mood of going to weddings. <laughs> so the dead lady that called you about she didn't find for her kids that she that she chose the, uh, the the value of social pressure. Is that why she did? Or she just did she was pleased? That's a good question. Why she didn't fight for her kids? I, 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 I started to psychoanalyze her on the phone, that's the truth. And then I realized it's completely not my place to do. I was just doing it instinctively. So I don't know the reason. It could be, it could be that she happened to grow up with a very authoritarian father. And maybe it was ingrained in her that authority is always right. You see that, you see that, that behavior, evidence... Sometimes among some people where they say that what the Hanhala does is correct. Yeah. And they just succumb to it. They suck it up. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I have learned the hard way. Sometimes the Hanhala does the right thing and it could be a disagreement. That I could respect. A principle says, this is my logic, but it's coming out of love. Sometimes a person just digs his his 
claws his heels into the ground. This is our policy. It doesn't make sense. This kid is suffering. Then I'm not going to accept it. They're humans. They're prone to error. They may be, I'm not saying they have bad intentions. I'm not here. I'm not judging. It's irrelevant. They may have very good intentions, but I'm not going to tolerate. I'm going to fight for my kids. If I lose, I lose, but I'll fight. I had someone tell me once that it's easier to do it behind all the ones. It's always easier, but the kids suffer. But I'm saying that it's easier when you're saying that I have a feeling or I have a value, that the value of fighting your kids is so much more value. Yes. The value, for fight, the value of expecting authority, respecting authority is a value. Respecting authority is a good thing. There's a reason for it. But if the authority is damaging and corrupt and doing horrible damage to children, I don't think it's a value. It's a weakness. It's not, no, the kids not, don't need to know what you're doing. It's not because you go behind them. Yeah, yeah, in a way that's respectful. It's tyranny, it's not an authority. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Gemara says in Hairi, Yisram Gamliel told two people, he appointed them to be leaders. They didn't want to. The Gemara in Hairi is dafiyot. Kimeduma, sheshrarani noisen lechem. You think I'm turning you into leaders? I'm turning you into slaves. Don't think leadership by the Jewish people is leadership. You're a slave. They were running away because they don't want to become Aries. He says, no, no, leadership by us is not leadership. It's avdus. You serve the people. The moment you're a leader, you're a rebbe, you're a manig, yeah? And you don't feel like an evet to the Klai Yisrael, you're not allowed to be a leader. That's why we spoke that real leaders are not very interested in the job. <laughs> it's not about rights and privileges that I have things that nobody else has and I'm going to be able to take money from the tzibur or, or even manipulate the tzibur. Then you got it wrong. You're in the wrong place. Become a real estate tycoon. Become a real estate tycoon and then do what you want. But if you're a leader, it's after something. It doesn't mean that you have to be abused as a leader. Chas v'shalom. You're not a doormat. Fakert. To be a successful leader, you have to be respected. A melech, the Rambam says, everybody has to respect, but he also has to be very humble. And the two work together. Because he's humble, therefore he can be respected. And if he's not respected, he can't be a melech. He can't do his job. Just like a teacher and a parent. But the respect is not coming because of manipulation and tyranny. It's coming because he's actually there for the people. That's the respect. So it's it's a very it's it's a it's a sensitive issue. It's a sensitive issue with authority. The moment somebody goes into natschanis, I'm gonna beat him. I'm gonna defeat him. I'm gonna have him fired. Then you're also in a dangerous place because now you're angry and and you're not there for your children either. You know what I mean? When it becomes a personal vendetta, yeah. Especially I knew him from yeshiva. He was a low light. <laughs> then you're in a, you're now you're already stepped down. You you stoop down. It's a different dysfunction. You're not fighting for your child anymore. You're fighting, you're fighting for your ego. You're fighting for your insecurity. You can't come from an angry place. You have to always think about what's the real value. The real value is I want these kids to be protected. The reason I had this conversation with this person is because these three kids left Yiddishkeit completely. And they're very spiritual. They're very sensitive. It's not like they're addicted to all types of Nairishkeit. They're not. They're spiritual people. So you would think that they would find their place in Yiddishkeit. And that's what I was wondering about. And then I heard a lot of what they went through. And, and uh, she's an older person. And I told this to her. I said all this to her. 
But I have to say, to her credit, she was quiet for around 10 minutes, not saying a word, which is very rare on a telephone. Even with a man, especially with a woman. And uh, she listened. And when I finished saying this and some other stuff, I don't get into all the details, she just said, wow, I never knew any of this. I thought the right thing is always, they came home wounded emotionally and just say the authority knows what they're doing and and, and you have to be resilient and, and that's how I'll build their resilience and, and they know what they're doing and they're the Hanhala and etc. She just said, wow. And I suggested that she apologizes to them. I mean, it's it's decades later. And I suggested that she calls in and she speaks to each one and apologizes. Not because she was malicious, but because she made a mistake. A mother is supposed to be a mother. A father is supposed to be a father. And she... Uh, and she, you know, she, she, she was real. She was idealistic. She said, absolutely, that's what I'm going to do. But the whole thing was a chiddush for her. Because it was ingrained in her. Authority says something. It's automatically right. And now, now, now there's, there's a beautiful concept to that. There's a beautiful thing that there's people we respect. Right? But as adults, we have to understand respect is earned. <laughs> respect is not an innate right. Respect is earned. The reason you're authority is because you deserve to be authority. Because you're taking responsibility, because you care. The moment you're making choices that are ill-advised and they're very destructive, so that it's not supposed to work that way. So somebody says they don't make mistakes. What do you mean they don't make mistakes? I never heard of anybody not making mistakes. I make mistakes. Every human being makes mistakes. You're the only one who doesn't make mistakes. So he says, but this, this person is a great scholar. Scholars make more mistakes. <laughs> they make less mistakes, they make more mistakes. Because they're brainy, they're up in the skies. He says, how do you say such a thing? What well, do say such a thing? I learned Meseches Hoyri. He says, a whole Mesechta in Shas. What's the Mesechta dedicated to? That there's a Sanhedrin. 71 people. Who got smicha ish mipayish from Moshe Rabbeinu. And they told Klal Yisrael to do something. And they made a mistake. Then they discovered that it was something that has a penalty of chorus. For example, they said, you're allowed to eat this, and it's blood. They didn't know it was blood. It didn't look like it. And they have to bring a carbon on behalf of the Jewish people, par helam dover sibur, because they made a mistake about a chi of cars. How they make a mistake? Because people make mistakes. doesn't mean you can't respect them. You respect them, but you respect them more for saying, I made a mistake, and now I'm going to do tshuva. That's fine. Authority, respect. Tyranny, don't respect. Okay. Svashtanen. Svashtanen Reb You like the idea of hanging up my father's pictures, my father's x-ray on the wall? Tafasta? We used to have, we used to, there used to be a button to question authority. Yeah, so I'm, I'm very cautious because this, like everything, there's extremes. Sometimes authority you don't question. You know what I mean? Somebody has a trust of the people. You know that he's a Yireh Shemayim, he's a Poisek, he's a Rav, he knows Allah. He says, I do. But when I see my child is being damaged, you understand? Thanks. <coughs> this thing is a, is a generational situation. It is. In the previous generations... That's the way it was. I know. 
I know. This woman being an older woman, she's I know. obviously educated. In the I know. I'm not judging. This is a generational transition. In a previous generation, it was not that way. The authority, what's the definition of authority and tyranny? Almost the same thing. And this woman, authority has to be respected. But we're talking about the Talmud Chachem, who truly embodies the values of Torah. And the first value of Torah, it says you have to be Mechaba Talmud Chachamim, and you have to have Yira from Talmud Chachamim. But what's a Talmud Chachem? Somebody who embodies the values of Torah. What's the first and primary value of Torah? If there's a child who's suffering, the first thing is I stop and do everything I can to help the child. When policy becomes more important than children and rules become more important than souls, are you embodying the values of Torah? And should I surrender? My children on this altar? I don't think it makes sense. Yeah, kol yelad boicha, the balatanya, yeah, kol yelad boicha. The institutions and some of the individuals are very intimidating and very powerful. I know. But let me tell you something. Truth is more powerful. I don't know. Truth is more powerful. You're right. You're right. I know. Some And some of them, some of them, some of them are bullies, and some of them come with a whole entourage of bullies, and they threaten you. You're right. I know that. And I'll tell you more. There's people who are bali tshuva, and they came back to Yiddishkeit, and they don't have the webs of family support and connections. You know, they can't call the Zayda who supported and the Baba and this, and they're alone in the Kehillah, and their children are suffering, and the person of authority says, this is the way it is, and they become completely intimidated and overwhelmed. And it's, it's, it's a travesty. It's a travesty of justice. And they shouldn't. What happens, and I always, uh, it's, it's hurtful to me, Bali Tshuva, they rebelled against the whole culture that they grew up in. They rebelled against their parents and their siblings and their teachers and their universities and their communities. They rebelled against everybody. And then they come here and they surrender completely. And they sometimes become like robots and zombies. Their kids rebel against good. And that's not good. What happened to your spirit? You were looking for truth. You left the whole culture for MS. And now you see this travesty. Don't give in. So he says, what do you want? I'm alone. I don't have a family web. I don't have connections. I don't have a whole community. I can't come into shul and give these Yiddish slangs, you know. I don't even know what it took me 10 years to save a smachstu. Vosherzog took me 10 years. It's going to take me another 20 years to figure out another. They get very intimidated. And I understand it. Was this lady? This lady's a No. I know. I know. I know. I know. <laughs> Shekhar is easier than Emes, right? It's always easier to lie than to say the truth. Yeah, I'm not judging. I'm not judging people. Sometimes a person means well. He just doesn't have the tools. It could be there's a principal, for example, who means well. He's trying to do his job. He just doesn't know what the right thing is. So he says, this is policy. He's not thinking. But he takes a generalized policy, which is for some people. But, but, but what, chinuch is not general. Chinuch has to be klal and prat together. Yeah, that's a good mechanic thinks about the cloud, but thinks about every prat. 
You can't just think about the klal in chinuch. That's not chinuch. This abstract klal that doesn't exist. <laughs> the klal. Every kid in the class is not doing well. The klal. What klal? No klal without a prat. Ain't beklal alamasha beprat. You understand? You make a rule. You have to. make a rule, but you have to be. No, maybe not. You have to make a rule. You make a uniform for the whole school. You can't make a rule for one kid. But if a kid has a certain challenge, you have to be creative and ingenious and figure out something that's going to work for this child. Just like if a child is allergic, is allergic to fish sticks, they're going to have to have a different lunch. If they're allergic to pizza, they're going to have a different lunch. Yes. You're not going to say, there's a rule. We only serve pizza for lunch. What do you mean a rule? It's a stupid rule. You understand what I'm saying? And everything, just like we understand by food, you have to make adjustments when it comes to emotions, not. Then everybody else is going to see that so you make an exception to this child. Yeah, and if, you, if you're a good mechanic, you're going to say, I am, I'm not, no, no, don't be afraid of. I am here for every child, what they need, what they really need. It's not a hefkeris. Why did I make adjustments? Because it's child. And if a child is sick, and if a child gets epilepsies, if a child has seizures, so I'm going to demand the same schedule. And if a child is going for therapy because they have a disability, so I'm going to demand the same schedule. I heard from Avi Fischoff, he was telling me that uh, there, was a, uh, there was a girl who was, uh, they wanted to throw her out of school because she, she never came back with homework. She never did her homework. It's a serious school. They wanted to, you know, penalize her and then expel her. So he spoke to the person in charge. He said, homework implies that you have a home. You go home and you do work. Her parents just got divorced. She has no home. She's thrown from this home to this home. At night she has no home. There's nobody who greets her, who says, come, I have a beautiful dinner for you. I have a warm dinner who hugs her, who kisses her. She doesn't have a home. Now you want her to sit down and do homework? There's no home. This girl doesn't have a home. So an educator has to be sensitive to this. You know? What to do? I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. It's not the principal's fault what happened to her parents. But the point is, we have a policy. Homework. Without homework, you get expelled. And what if somebody doesn't have a home? And what if somebody can't write? If somebody has a cast, what if somebody's finger is chas v'shalom, something happened? The best type is for the Chazag. Between alcohol and weed, which one is better? Which one has the less effect? I don't know about alcohol and weed, but we all know there's a difference between a person saying lechayim. There's a person between making it's different making kiddush Shabbos and Yom Tif. There's a difference between once a year on Purim chayav inish lopsumer b'puri adalayada. And then an addiction, something that's constant and ongoing and a way of dealing with life. It's a big difference. There were also, in Russia, for example, there were chassidim, they would fabreng a lot. Yeah? They would take l'chaim, and some, for some of them it took over the edge when life was hard. But when the moment it becomes a replacement... If you want a drink, yeah. it's okay. If you need a drink, it's not okay. Yeah, we're not talking about that. Talk about the, which one is more addictive. That's the issue here. I'm not talking about, you know, a person does something once in a while. I'm not getting into the... De- I'm talking about a lifestyle 
a lifestyle of dependency. That's what I'm talking about. I don't know. I, 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 I never spent time with them. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.